Attack life, not others, with Tim Hoover and Steve Mittman. It was exactly two years ago this week, long before the pandemic, we had Anthony Droz on the show. Now, with the pandemic upon us, so much of what we talked about is more important than ever. What we thought we would do is play a little snippet from that episode. Just listen. Pay attention because everything we talked about has even more meaning. It's more profound and more important than ever in the world in which we now live. We begin with Anthony talking about the warrior ethos. The average person, if they're not military, if they're not a martial artist, they're not a fighter. Say you're a dentist, you're a lawyer, whatever it is. How does the warrior ethos, how does that apply to them? What can they learn from that? I think it's a lifestyle. That's first and foremost. Warrior ethos isn't something that you do on Monday. It's not something that you do on Tuesday. It's not something that you, even when you step on the mat, you know, it doesn't mean that you're a warrior just because you step on the mat once a week. Um, Warrior ethos and living a lifestyle of that is every day. And it's, it's being able to protect the ones that you love, not because you want to hurt somebody, but because you want to protect them. It's, it's being well-rounded in a manner that you can cry, And you do cry when things are upsetting and when things emotionally challenge you, but then you get back up and you get on your feet and you do what you have to do. It's being able to go take your daughter shopping for her prom dress, but also, you know, being able to go start a fire and teach your kid how to survive in the woods. Mm. It's a well-rounded individual. If you are a warrior and if you practice warrior ethos, um, then that means that you are, you are rounded and you are, you are secure in your skin. I think that a lot of people, they assume that, oh, I'm a warrior just because I served for two years or four years, or I'm a warrior because I achieved the black belt, but 20 years goes by and they still think they're a warrior, but they're out of shape and they haven't done anything anymore. What put you on this path? It was starting to read a lot about the Native American cultures here in, in North America. The Native Americans drew me in right away just because of their, I think their reverence for the natural order of things and for their understanding of their place within it. Right. That really drew me in. And then to see that they also had this thing, you know, we, we like to focus so much on the, on the American culture as like, a, a, <laughs> I don't know why everything is Viking this and Spartan that. And when you do some digging about the Spartans, you'll find a lot of things you don't like. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but right here in our own area, you know, if you look at how, you know, the United States before we were even the United States based troops, but when it was the colonists, how were they able to overcome the British forces in the manner that they were? It was because they were taking, and they were applying warrior tactics that they had learned from battling with the indigenous culture for so long. So like the true warrior cultures, in my opinion, are those indigenous cultures right here. And, you know, that transfers down to South America, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayas. And then that goes down into New Zealand, if you want to go that way with the Maori, uh, the aboriginal cultures in Australia and and the same aboriginal cultures that are in Papua New Guinea. Um, You know, there's so many different ones. And we like to think, and this was the one thing that, took me by so much surprise the more I started researching our indigenous cultures was, and it's perceived in the history books and it's perceived in the way that we teach our history to our children, that we are the most advanced and elevated culture to ever exist on this planet. And I don't really know if that's true. The indigenous cultures, they didn't have the same type of technology that we do, but they were mentally, physically, and spiritually evolved in a way that we cannot even fathom right now. 
we are seeing a resurgence of that. It's almost like maybe we're seeing a second enlightenment happen right now with people. So back to your question, that that is what started it. It was the Native American cultures here, um, specifically the Calusa people. Mm. They lived literally in the Everglades, um, which is where I lead expeditions for Outward Bound. Mm. Um, and so researching the Calusa people just really like opened up my mind. And I was like, wow, like what warriors, you know, they held Ponce de Leon off for 250 years with 1500 men. And he brought almost 200,000 men to the shore. Um, and they were, they were hitting targets with bow and arrow and spears from 200 yards away almost. Mm-hmm. So, Anthony, you mentioned expeditions that you lead for Outward Bound. You want to talk about that? Tell us what that's about. Yeah, so Outward Bound was started in the culmination or the ending, if you will, of, of World War II. Um, Hitler was bombing British merchant marine boats. And there was this gentleman named Sir William Holt. And Sir William Holt could not understand why the young sailors were dying at sea and the older sailors were making it back each time. They would either swim or they would float back on pieces of the ship or or they would just endure the elements out there until they were rescued. But the young sailors were all dying and he had no idea why. And so he enlisted the help of a man named Kurt Hahn. Now, Kurt Hahn was actually imprisoned by Hitler because of his beliefs in empowering youth and giving them responsibility, challenge, and adversity in order to make them stronger mentally and physically. Um, so he enlisted the help of, of Kurt Hahn. Kurt Hahn said, well, I got a plan. We're going to put together this school. And so they founded a school over there, and it started teaching adversity and challenge. It was a regular school, but in addition to the regular curriculum of math and science and all these things, you had an additional aspect of uh, it was compassion, craftsmanship, self-reliance. It was all blended into the regular curriculum. The problem was that Hitler really didn't like it because it was creating free thinkers, and it was creating self-reliant and independent individuals. Mm. Um, so he ended up jailing Kurt Hahn. Kurt Hahn got out from some good government contacts and things like that. And, and years later, uh, they found it in 1960, they founded the first school here in the United States, I believe it was in Colorado. Um, and now fast forward, we have like six different schools in the United States, 20 nations around the world all have schools. And then within those nations, there's a few schools in each. The overall concept is that you give youth and you give individuals challenge and adversity, and it breeds self-reliance and self-confidence. And Back in the 50s, Kurt Hahn made a whole list of things disappearing from our cultures because of technology and because of, you know, basically people getting lazy and people um, succumbing to the comforts, uh, right? Well, as human beings, we find something that makes us uncomfortable and we try to fix it. You know, if you're cold, put a jacket on. If you're still cold, let's put heat in the building. So like, we continue to do all of these things to rid ourselves and so that we don't have to be uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is an area where you learn to grow and you learn to um, thrive. In my opinion, that is one of the things that I see lacking in our societies and our cultures the most is that people don't have challenge and adversity, so they're not self-confident and they're not self-reliant mm-hmm. at all. Case in point, yesterday, a young lady knocks on the door. She's looking for my stepdad. She lives next door to him. I'm like, well, you know, what's up? What can I help you with? And she's like, I think my car battery's dead. I'm like, okay, well, you know, young lady, cool. Um, I open the door and I look outside. There's three male individuals standing outside, maybe the ages of like 18 to 22. And then there's two other young ladies. And I looked at the guys and I was like, how old are y'all? And they told me those ages. And I was like, none of y'all know how to jumpstart a car. And they were like, no. And the one kid tries to get like smart. And he asked me, he's like, but do you know how to build a computer? And I was like, no, I teach people how to survive in the woods. They had no self-reliance. They had no craftsmanship. They could have used their phones to Google how to find out where the battery was in the Volvo, and they could have watched a YouTube video, but they didn't have any self-reliance. We did an episode way back when we first started this podcast. One of uh, Sensei Hoover's really good students. He's a great kid. 
he came to Sensei Hoover and said, listen, you know, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate what you've done for me in my life. I'm a gamer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sensei Hoover said, what do you mean a gamer? And, uh, <laughs> you know, he said, I don't, it, it's just what I know. It's my generation. It's all I do. Yeah. But prior to this, I didn't do anything with my hands, nothing hands-on, nothing mm-hmm. tactile, nothing um, where, you know, sensory where you're feeling, touching, doing things. He's a great kid. It's just, again, partially society, partially the generation, but exactly what you're talking about. Not due to any fault of his own, per se. It's yeah. just not abundantly taught these days. I think everything's padded. It's almost like padded and band-aided, padded, and even conversation. Like, this is a very unique, very unique conversation we're having right now. And Yeah, I just met you like five minutes ago. Yeah, and I think things are just puffed up and padded, and it's very hard to get real. Well, that goes into interpersonal skills. So that's another thing that we work on at Outward Bound is that kids don't have interpersonal skills. No. no. The first three days, so the courses are anywhere from 14 days to 28 days, and then you have semester courses that are 72 days. And these are all in the wilderness. There's no cell phones. There's no drugs. There's no alcohol. There's nothing. And, you know, you resupply your food every seven days on average. For the first three days, the things that you typically see with the younger kids is almost like, and I'm going to be cautious when I say this, and I don't want anyone to, like, jump out of their seats, but it's almost like the initial onset of like withdrawal symptoms. Kids are irritable. They're shy. They're closed off. They're really, um, easily irritated. And it's because they're going through those withdrawals of not having their cell phones. Like they always feel like they're forgetting something. They feel like they're losing something. You could see it in their interaction with each other. It's like really padded, like you just talked Mm -hmm. about. And then after those three days, once they start like forming their crew culture and they start to actually see that, like, I can trust this person, they start really talking and both being influenced and being influencers, which is one of the most beautiful things that you start to see that ability to actually have interpersonal dialogue and to be able to grow as individuals together and to have that tribe that you keep talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, you go back to the, the thing that attracted me about the martial arts as a kid was looking at these old books and seeing these old masters walking around in bare feet mm-hmm. on dirt roads and hills and mountains and training outside. I mean, the whole thing with a belt, the idea, the concepts of the colored belts came from the color changing naturally by training mm-hmm. outside, going from a, a rope. And then eventually as you roll around, you mud, you boom, the colors changed to green, to brown, and eventually got dirty and black. That was the whole concept of going to black belt. Really? Black is, yeah, and the color black is the fusion of all colors. Mm-hmm. So there's so many symbols, there's so many things that make sense. But the thing is, when you're out there and you're on the mat or wherever you are, outdoor situation and what you do, you're in the elements. I mean, we're in bare feet. We're in a uniform. Nobody is anything but there. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if they're a doctor, carpenter, whatever. They're just there. Their soul is there. Their spirit's there. Their brain is there. It's on. Um, you mentioned about everybody padding. I mean, the first thing we get a little ache or pain, we pop an Advil. Mm-hmm. We pad the feeling. Pain is something that's with us. We've got to get used to what it is and understand it. The only way you can understand it is to feel it and mm-hmm. so on. So externally, we do the same thing with the way we touch, the way we feel, the way we talk. And so what it does, it eliminates our ability to get close and understand people and listen to your conversation and you listening to Steve's and mine so we can understand where we are. Sometimes people never get a chance to do that. And that's a shame. It's a real shame. 100%. Well, thank you, man. This has been good stuff. Anthony Droz, man. Thank you for being here. All it's right. very cool. Very awesome of you guys to be doing this for for people everywhere. Um, I think it's really important for this transference piece of life. It's very important for you to pass it on. And so especially having other individuals come in and, and be able to have that symbiotic talk is really nice. Thank you for listening to Attack Life, Not Others. Subscribe to our podcast. 
And for more on our way of life through the martial arts, go to hooverkarate.com. This has been a Steve Mittenin social media creation. Steve Mittenin social media.com. 